0: Welcome to Is This Working? The tools we use to work have changed drastically, but how we work hasn't. In this podcast, we explore how we can make work, work better for us. We're your hosts, me, Anna Codorado, And me,
1: Tiffany Philippou. Each week, we challenge conventional views about work, by taking on topics like mental health, productivity, office culture, and even what the modern way of working means for our relationships. This isn't about the
0: future of work. This is about what's happening in work right now. Before we get into this week's episode, we just want to say a huge thank you to all of our early listeners. We actually wanted to include this in our second episode, but we messed up, so sorry for that, um, but yes, we just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who has listened, who has rated, who's sent us DMs and WhatsApps and emails, we really, really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, everybody. I got a lot of comments about waking up without an alarm, that seemed like a very radical thing for people, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you got some great feedback about the time one, didn't you, Anna?
0: Yes, um, our friend Yana messaged me to say that she was listening to the first episode and had to stop and think about whether listening to podcasts at 1.5 speed, uh, why she was doing it and whether it was to be more efficient or not.
1: We also got an Apple review, which by the way, if you are an Apple listener, pretty please do go and leave a review, It makes a huge difference, Um, from Charles Patterson who said, everything resonated with me so many good conversations and good ideas great points well made tiffany i love your style i also wake up when my body is ready something that's changed my life drastically sleep for the win
0: everyone is (laughs) loving your no alarm rule it's It's revolutionized people's lives
1: i've actually woken up really early naturally this week people presume it means you wake up late but Mm. actually Mm. no but yeah anyway
0: um so yes please do continue messaging us and leaving reviews on apple and subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast it really means the world to us and thank you
1: this week we're talking about success what does success mean in the instagram age and how can we find success that is meaningful to us Imagine slugging away week after week. For months you're publishing your work into the void. It feels like no one cares. You're getting few likes and no comments or any feedback. Do you think you'd feel like giving up or would you keep going? Believe it or not, this is a question that Anna faced in the early days of, na- of what is now her wildly successful newsletter, The Professional Freelancer.
0: So I started my newsletter in the first week that I went freelance and uh, for anyone who doesn't know I write a newsletter called The Professional Freelancer which is all about how to make a sustainable living um, as a self-employed person. And like I said I started it when I first went freelance and I didn't really have grand plans for it. Uh, I started it because I just needed a way to anchor my week when I was staring down the barrel of a long, uh, potentially sort of long week of no assignments. Um, But then people started to read it and um, I just kind of kept publishing and kept going with it. However, it took a really long time to get it to where it is now, which is that I'm in a position where I can monetize it, and I'm building a whole community around the letter, around the newsletter. Uh, and one thing that happened, I think, probably about, I don't know, three or four months into writing the newsletter, I started getting fewer and fewer replies. So at the beginning people were very kind and they, you know, they wrote back to me. Um, but then at some point those started to tail off and writing the newsletter felt more like a task on my to-do list that I didn't really want to get around to doing. And I became really, I was really tempted to just stop. Uh, I did, really didn't have that many readers and most of them were just friends who I started to think were only reading it, out oh, of pity. Um, and I was really, really tempted to stop. But I just kept pushing forward because but at that point, I realized that I was writing this newsletter because what I really wanted was to get a column either in a newspaper or a magazine or an online magazine, whatever it might be. But I had this goal that I really wanted to get a column So, I just kept pushing through with the newsletter and I just kept writing it. And then it started to grow and grow. Um, But what's really interesting is that now, actually, it's probably at a readership where I probably could go and get a column, but I actually don't want that anymore because the newsletter has basically become a column in and of itself, is what I've sort of realized. And it's been really, it's been a really interesting journey for me because it's pretty much shown me that sometimes traditional platforms aren't always the be all and end all and it's also made me really rethink what I actually set out to achieve with it and what how I was going to measure whether or not it was successful and whether or not I had been successful in what I wanted to do with it because I had this idea that unless I was being published in a traditional outlet or if I had the quote-unquote traditional column format that's what success would look like off the back of the newsletter but I have actually completely sort of rechanged my thinking of it and being able to engage in a meaningful way with a community and to just write in a way that makes sense for me and also makes sense for my readers is actually really what a successful newsletter looks like for me now.
1: At what point did you feel
0: like I am successful in my newsletter? So to be brutally honest, I always had this idea that if I hit 1000 subscribers, I would, that would be a success. That was kind of an outcome I had, I had sort of my eye on. And then I got there and I kind of thought, okay, so I've done that now, but that didn't necessarily make me feel like I was successful To me, every time I get an email from someone saying, I read this newsletter, it cheered me up. Um, It has inspired me to keep going with my pitching or I've renegotiated renegotiated a rate and got a better deal. That's when I feel like I'm successful. And I think that it's in those moments, it's almost not like a destination in and of itself, but it's in those moments that I am reminded that, oh no, this is actually helping people and this is successful. It's very interesting because
1: you talked about your changing relationship with success and the traditional media versus your Mm. own platform. Can you tell me a bit about why you became a journalist and at what point you felt was your peak success there and how that
0: might've changed now? So I became a journalist, I guess by accident really. I always knew I wanted to write. I knew that from when I was a kid, I would sort of write stories in my grandparents' Uh, living room on my long summer holidays and always enjoyed writing essays at school and that kind of thing so I always knew I wanted to do something with writing and then I kind of fell into journalism at university and sort of decided okay I'm going to be a journalist now I guess I never really thought I don't think I ever really stopped to think why do I specifically want to be a journalist Um, I think that's kind of maybe a conversation for another time but when I was working I had always had this idea that I would only be successful when I was working for particular types of publications and so when I did get a job at the Guardian I was absolutely over the moon that I'd achieved that but then quickly that in and of itself wasn't it didn't it started to not feel like this absolutely massive achievement Um, and the same when I kind of went and worked at Vice it was um I'd had this idea that I needed to be writing for these particular outlets and I, I think I think I used to peg success to prestige uh, I think everyone kind of has their own definitions of success whether they are ones that they have actually sit sat down to sort of think about for themselves or whether they ones that they've sort of absorbed from external sources but for me success was very much tied to prestige and I got those things and yet it just it felt just a bit meh
1: do you remember the moment or where you were when you found out you'd got the blue tick
0: on twitter to <laughs> verify you um that is such a thing is that is all such a sham because the reason i have a blue tick on twitter is because i can't remember if it was at Vice or the guardian but what routine maybe i'm not supposed to be revealing this but what routinely happens is um newsrooms just send in a list of the journalists that they have on staff to twitter and twitter verifies them so it really was not this so kind it didn't of feel as it did not feel it just I mean yeah probably I was I mean I've had I've had that tick for a while probably back then I was naive and kind of smug enough to actually like think it meant something it really doesn't um but yeah (laughs) so final question tell me what your
1: definition of success is now you talked a bit about helping people tell me a bit about that
0: so my definition of success as it is right now is being able to live my life on my own terms But related to that is also that I think success and your own definition of it changes all the time. And I think it should change all the time. And I think what is actually really, really hard as an exercise is to actually sit down and define success on your own terms and try to do that, removing all of the things we are told that we should think is successful or what a successful person looks like. Uh, But I think, um, yeah, I think it's evolving. Have you reached it? I think it's an ongoing journey and I think right now I do feel successful in the way I define success but I'm also aware that I don't want to get complacent or I think it's important also to kind of balance achieving success with continuing to be ambitious as well so I would say though that yeah I think probably for now I have reached my own definition of it
1: and how do we find our definition of success leads us nicely into our next segment where, where we ask what is success in the Instagram age stay tuned get onto the Instagram age, Anna, can you define success for
0: us? So success literally means achieving something that you have set out to achieve, be that a goal or a target, whatever it might mean. In If you think about it like that, success is actually relative. You have to have set out your own goal and that has to have come from you. And then you are basically successful if you fulfill that. And I think... What's very interesting in the world we live in right now is Instagram and social media more generally has added this new dimension to all of this because success now plays out publicly and so we see someone else achieving their goals and that triggers this comparison that we make. And it starts to confuse our own definitions of success because we see someone else achieving something, something that we probably didn't even actually want for ourselves. And suddenly we're jealous. (laughs) Um, And it's, I don't know, it's a very interesting phenomenon. And I have, I just find it really, really fascinating because I think lots of us struggle with this idea of how can we be, be successful when all of our work is out there on Instagram and we're constantly comparing ourselves to each other.
1: There was some point along the way where success got conflated with comparison. And Mm -hmm. I think it does come out of the career and work culture where it's literally set up, or even at school, I guess, actually, Mm -hmm. um, where you're put comparatively against people. And again, success is seen in an externally validated way. So like pay rises, promotions, but that's always in comparison to someone else.
0: Mm. And you know, what's funny is that it plays out even in something like podcasts (laughs) where um, everyone there's that, you know, phrase that's going around these days that everyone has a podcast. And it's this idea that you're not a true millennial if you don't have a podcast. Uh, And I think it was sort of a couple of days before we launched this podcast, this New York Times article came out, which was titled, Have We Reached Peak Podcast." And it was all about, well, I actually do have quite a lot of problems with the article, but it did raise some really important, it raised some very interesting issues, which are relevant to our discussion. The first point it raised was basically that there are just lots of podcasts out there. And um, it was sort of questioning, you know, are there too many? I think that's a bit of a, quite a basic question in the sense that there are lots of other forms of media out there. There are lots of books, there are lots of TV shows, whatever. We haven't reached peak radio. But what was a lot more interesting about that piece, which it didn't fully explore, I think we should chat chat a bit more about, is this idea that podcasts have become seen as this way to become instantly successful. And the example they gave, they talked about two podcasters who'd started a podcast and they didn't see overnight success straight away. Um, And so they gave up. Uh, they, I think, there were six episodes in, and they didn't—they weren't getting any um, uh, ad deals, basically, and so they um, they just quit the show. And to my mind, this just raises a very interesting question, which is, what in our culture is driving people to want to become instantly successful? And I think that is very connected to this idea of sort of insta fame, and why do we just want to be famous for doing nothing?
1: And it always looks like I think Instagram makes it looks more. Like fame happens overnight. Mm. And I think the reason podcasting, I agree with you on that article. I think it conflated two issues. And actually what would have been more interesting is if they'd dialed up that question that you're asking, why does everyone want instant fame? Um, But I think the thing is the reason podcasts is the thing is because more and more people are listening to them, but more and more people think they can do them because they think it's easy, which I think is a really interesting thing and it kind of reminds me of in, influencer culture reminds me a bit of x-factor <laughs> culture back in the day like oh I can sing I can be a pop star like that's not too much work it's that same it's that kind of that same desire to have fame and fortune and presuming it's easy
0: you've done some interesting research into uh, sort of the history of fame and kind of looking back at famous people over history and what they've had to say about it
1: yeah, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole about um, baboons and how <laughs> celebrity comes from th- those times where basically you'd got more sex if you're a <laughs> more famous baboon. And so it's literally ingrained in our species. And I was also thinking a lot about this desire for fame, which is from the Greek times, Roman times. But at the same time, the reality of fame and the self-destruction that comes with it is very widely known and yet people still pursue it and i think there's something very interesting about that um and and marilyn monroe was someone who talked very openly about this and she had so many brilliant quotes that i got again i went this wonderful rabbit hole of screenshotting them but um (laughs) success makes so many people hate you i wish it wasn't that way it would be wonderful to enjoy
0: success without
1: seeing envy in the eyes of those around you That's fascinating,
0: I think. It's really interesting because I think we live in a time now where you don't actually have to be at the Marilyn Monroe level of fame to experience what she is just describing. I think you can have a... um, not even a massive instagram following you can just be you know a big fish in your relatively small pond be that of your podcast world or as a journalist or you know whatever creative industry or any industry that you work in if you are kind of known in that industry i think you can probably ex- you can might start experiencing some of those things on this um on that more micro level and i think that is where the social media element really comes into it because social media has been so great at propelling so many people's careers, but then, you know, there's this really nasty double-edged sword to it as well. It reminds me,
1: so Alan DeBotton's TED Talk, which was back in 2009, and I think that's very important to note, it was about redefining or having a new kind of definition mm. of success. He talks about why we don't envy the queen which I thought was fascinating. So we don't envy the queen because she's weird, he says. Um, And what he means is we don't look at the queen and think I could do what you do. And as you were just saying, people have always thought that to a certain extent. They've always thought it was easy, but suddenly it's more in our faces all the time because these content creators, which a lot of people on social media are, are doing creative and amazing things. And they're doing that grind that you talked about with your newsletter, but people don't see that or think about that and they want a piece of it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I've definitely experienced the other side of things. I look at people and I get this kind of like pang of envy. You know, someone has um, made a really amazing documentary or um, launched a product range or something. And I get this, it's weird. It's almost like your the, your first feeling is, is this flash of envy. And then I check myself and I think, but do I actually want that for myself? No. So why am I getting jealous? um it's very it's really interesting and you do have to check yourself because otherwise you can kind of fall down this um you can kind of fall into this bad place of just looking at everyone else and being really really jealous of what they're doing even though actually it's not it has no bearing on you and it's not even what you wanted in the first place
1: and success or fame at the envy of others as marilyn was saying is often a very lonely place definitely
0: um and you know what I also found really interesting is that um, also kind of going back through the archives, I found a piece on the New York Times from 2006. It was titled The Fame Motive. It was actually also there was a, there's a book that also came out called The Fame Motive, but this was looking at the, the broader field of psychology of fame, of the psychology of fame. And there was this great line in it. Um, psychologists have studied why people want to become famous. And there was this brilliant line which said, people with an overriding desire to be wide, widely known to strangers are different from those who primarily covet wealth and influence their fame seeking behavior appears rooted in a desire for social acceptance a longing for the existential reassurance promised by wide renown and i found that very interesting so essentially what it's saying is people who felt like they don't belong seek fame because it validates them uh, in some way and I think, and the piece kind of went on to say that the problem is that the more famous you become, the, you know, you get you become distanced from your old life and you're only kind of surrounded by yes people. And again, like I said, this can happen just as much in smaller ponds as it does on the micro level. It's,
1: it's the baboons. <laughs> but do, do, you know what that, do you know what that quote made me think of? In Love Island, which we all miss terribly from our summers, um, people care more about the fame than winning the prize money. Yes. So people care more about getting airtime and what happens when they come out. And it's the first time I've watched a reality TV show where I've thought these people don't need the money to win. They're playing up and it's fascinating. So we've changed our what priorities.
0: Yeah, I mean, so Love Island for anyone who doesn't know is this British reality TV show where, what is it, like 12 couples Get shoved in this villa, and the object is to be voted the best couple by each other and also viewers, which in and of itself is deeply, deeply problematic. With the hope that they will win fifty thousand pounds, and to my mind, this is no longer Love Island; it's Influence Island, because the fifty thousand pounds pales in comparison to the sponsorship deals that they get when they come out of the villa. They've, you know, even if you don't win pretty much everyone in that villa now has a million followers on Instagram and that leads to, you know, all of these sponsored um, brand deals and so much, you know, work and TV appearances and all this kind of stuff. And it's no longer, I mean, I don't think it ever really was about finding love, but it's just about finding influence. And I'm just so fascinated with why are people going on these types of shows? And more specifically than that, Why do people want fame just for fame's sake? So we're not talking about in, uh, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago where fame was always a byproduct of talent. Now you can be famous just for being famous. Um, It just made me think of something that I saw on Instagram that I actually sent you a picture of, which is Ariana Huffington posted this picture of the success iceberg. We'll put a link to the image
1: in the show notes uh,
0: but you- yeah and it was how at the top of the iceberg it's you know the thing that you can see so let's take for example uh, you know writing a book at the top of the iceberg you see the announcement that you've got the book deal and you know the invite to the book launch what you don't see underneath is the huge big chunk of ice that is kind of keeping that whole thing afloat which is the rejected pitches, the hours slogging away, writing the sacrifice, thing, the sacrifice, everything. the disappointment, yeah. Um, it's interesting actually, you just mentioned failure because I think, you know, success is really, really tied to failure as well. I think they're kind of almost two sides of the same coin. Um, well, the reality is a lot of successful people have
1: had a lot of failures and the more they talk about it, the better. And obviously, Elizabeth Day, How to Fail, where she interviews, it's a great podcast where she interviews very famous and outwardly seeming successful people about all their failures and everything that got them there. And and I think that message is absolutely brilliant and valuable, but it needs to be shouted louder because Mm. people aren't, there's still that fear of
0: weakness by sharing how you got somewhere. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I love the tagline of um, Elizabeth Day, Elizabeth Day's podcast, which is that it's something along the lines of um, through understanding our failures, we can be more so we can succeed. learn how to succeed better. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. It's um it's funny though because I also feel like there's a bit of failure fetishness going on at the same time. How <laughs> <I'm> interesting. <laughs> um, but that's probably a, that's probably one for another day. Um, but what's also interesting? So on the same podcast, Elizabeth Day talked to Phoebe Waller Bridge who is obviously the writer for Fleabag, who has- and also the, Killing Eve. And Killing Eve, yeah. Um, and in the past year has had a huge amount of fame overnight essentially. And Elizabeth Day was like, I wanna see what's happening behind the scenes, um, which is a fantastic episode. But what Phoebe Waller-Bridge said that I found very interesting was she was like, when we were making series two of Fleabag, which was the one that really propelled the, her success or, or outwardly seeming success, um, they'd all filmed it and acted in it and done the work ages ago. So it's really weird because you kind of do your work, do your job mm. and then get on with other things and doing other things and onto the next. But me- meanwhile, everyone's on a time lag of engaging with your work, which mm. I found really interesting as a concept about
0: success and timing, actually. Yeah, because um, <laughs> on a tiny, much smaller scale, you know, putting this podcast together has taken quite a lot of work and on the day we actually launched it, that's the sort of public outward, you know, everyone then engages with our work, but all of the hard slogging has been sort of in advance of that. It's obviously nowhere near, you know, the, the time lag wasn't quite as big as... um Phoebe Waller-Bridges and obviously (laughs) not to the scale um but it's that really interesting thing where actually on the day you're launching you know I don't feel on the day we launched the podcast I didn't feel like I was really doing any work all I did was sort of press a. basically we tweeted out the link to the podcast and then kind of waited for people hopefully to to listen but actually you know sitting here like we are right now like setting up the microphones and kind of bumbling our way through an episode and all of the work that our wonderful producer Chris does to like make it sound so great none of that gets seen um But
1: I believe based on my own experience without that hard work before the success
0: moment it's extremely unfulfilling. Well so you actually do have a rare story of literal overnight success. I have
1: overnight success and a sort of fame. I will tell it as quickly as possible. Um, I set up a Facebook group back in 2010 called Secret London and the idea was for people to share the secrets of the city um and it completely blew up overnight it had hundreds of thousands of followers and this is again pre-influencer age like this so I was basically in the Sunday Times (laughs) and all these other things and it was crazy and I didn't really intend for that to happen I set it up as a job interview process
0: i remember it so clearly you we were meeting in the pub and you were texting me saying i've just got to finish this assignment i've got for this possible job you set it and then we went to the pub and literally by the time you came home you had tens of thousands of it
1: was bonkers yeah and 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 the but the thing is though so i've i obviously a smaller scale of some of the big fame that we've talked to but i felt what it felt like to have everyone almost want a piece of you Mm. and or go to a party, ooh, that's a secret London girl. But because I hadn't really worked at it, I hadn't desired the outcome, I hadn't thought about it. I actually, it felt kind of gross. Mm. I was like, I stopped on the tube and asked about it once. And I was like, ooh, I don't know, I don't wanna. so, So I really believe that without that hard work and that enjoyment of the process to get there, it feels very shallow and empty. And I wish more people knew that because everyone seems to be, not everyone, a lot of people seem to be going after this overnight success
0: concept. Yeah, well, it's always, it's that thing about, you know it's all about the journey, not about the destination. Of course. Um, But then what about this whole kind of performative working that we see a lot on social media? So our good friend Vicky Spratt wrote a really great piece for Grazia a few months ago about what she has termed work porn. So it's, you know, people essentially uh, publicizing how much that well their volume of work, but also kind of them uh, sort of like slogging it out. So where is the line? You know, I think it's really important to talk about the process, but then at the same time, there's a difference between that and doing what what sort of Vicky identified as performative work. Do you know what it reminds me of? Um, when I was
1: at university, on my Facebook status, I'd be like, OMG uh not started my essay that's due tomorrow gonna be a long night like hashtag pro plus (laughs) (laughs) um and I honestly think this is the same thing it's that emitting to the world in that kind of
0: way which I just think is a bit it's a bit odd really well it's that interesting thing where I also had this in my sort of university and also in our school schooling years that there was this idea which I don't know maybe this is a gendered thing but this is a, this idea that you should be able to achieve stuff effortlessly um be that you know oh you you would never say oh I stayed up really late doing I prioritized my work really carefully and I stayed up really late working on this essay and that's why I got an A plus no it's kind of like oh yeah well you know I just I just handed it in last minute just like wrote it before class it's this idea that you should get stuff for not I don't I don't know whether that comes from trying to appear that you are natural quote-unquote naturally smart, or what it might be but there's this idea that um, basically that you can get stuff for nothing but that would argue that we value natural
1: talent above hard work but a lot of western society is built on the foundation and belief that if you work hard you can mm. get achieve what you want which is obviously not true mm. but at the same time people seem to be valuing natural talent above that hard work which is out of sync I'm confused
0: yeah and <laughs> and I was I feel that kind of our like our working environments play a massive role in this as well um I mean I don't know what do you kind of think about that how when you were sort of working in companies how did you feel that success and also hard work how do they kind of relate with each other well it's fascinating
1: I I remember when you're full-time you're told you've done well and you're given a pay rise as a reward which is something quantifiable Mm. that you can put a number against or they would have, they would often do weekly shout outs, who's done well, awards, like all that kind of stuff. It's like the gold
0: stars system. Yeah. <laughs> primary yeah.
1: School. And it was all about success, external validation really. And it's really hard because when you're working at a company, it's very unlikely that your success is tied to the company's success. Your, your success is tied within your own success for yourself which is separate from the company Mm. so what purpose you why are you there and do you feel successful for achieving that it's out of sync with what the company exists to be
0: successful in I completely agree I mean to bring this all the way back to what we were talking at the beginning about sort of how we even define success I mean if you look at work culture as a whole it doesn't actually even teach us how to set goals properly or it doesn't encourage a true you know for you to to set your own personal goals. So, you know, I'd be sat there for my annual review or performance review, whatever they're called. And you're supposed to you're supposed to write down your goal for the year, but that goal is supposed to basically be in line with what your boss's goal is. And your boss's goal is supposed to be in line with what their boss's goal is. And that's supposed to be pegged to the overall company strategy. And so you kind of have to shoehorn what you actually really want to do around this structure. And you're kind of essentially taught that to achieve things and to be successful at things, You shouldn't actually necessarily be going after the things that you actually want and then when you get to a point where you have outgrown the company and really your goal is well how do I improve and how do I move on from here you you can't put that in your performance review.
1: Well often people when you leave a company it feels like a failure but actually it should be seen as a success because you've done what you came to do. So in the Reed Hoffman Masters of Scale podcast which is great podcast Reid Hoffman's the founder of LinkedIn and he has this great storytelling style in his podcast and in this episode that we'll put in the show notes he gets interviewed by someone else so it flips it around but he talks about how he went to PayPal and to cut a long story short he wanted to start his he had a failed business he wanted to start another one and the founder of paypal peter Thiel, um who you may or may not know said to him tell you what you want to start a company that's great but come and work with me for six 12 months first so you learn this and this it will work well because i get what i need which is you you get the things you need from me and it's just a short-term gig and reed hoffman ended up spending three years there because things change, but it was really interesting. And he talks about having your employees being the hero of their own story. Mm. So if we could have more conversations about what do you wanna get from this? And here's what I need to get from you and agree that. And I come from obviously the startup and entrepreneurial background where people like me don't do well in a fast growing company once it's big Mm. once it's suddenly a corporate structure so why can't so what I used to see happen is that you grow you grow some people don't work anymore it's all weird why can't we have better self-awareness and what do I want to achieve from this and then I can go off and do something else and everyone doesn't leave in a weird way that would be such a nice
0: thing it really would and I think that Leaves us in a really good place to move on to our final segment, which is how do we redefine success? Stay tuned.
1: because we're obviously talking about the instagram age and instagram are mid testing removing the likes on photos which i think outwardly looks like they're trying to change how people see their posts as successful
0: Mm. what do you think about that um I think it's a really interesting move. I'm quite interested in it because I'm very curious as to the business reason for Instagram doing this, but that's obviously not necessarily relevant to our conversation here. But I think that it's a good thing. I think there have been some they're testing it, I think, in Ireland and Japan, and there have been some initial um there's been some initial feedback where people have actually found that they're more confident when they're posting because it's just taken that pressure off other people seeing the likes because if I've got this right you can still see your own likes but other people can't see them
1: that's exactly it so you can see how many likes you've got but other people can't see them and the feedback I read about in Canada was that it made people more confident to post again, we won't go into the business details too much. I'm, I share your fascination because there was obviously a meeting in at Instagram HQ where they go, what do we do about the fact everyone's talking about how we're ruining the world and also continue to be an advertising business. And they thought, oh, I know, let's do something that gets people using Instagram more. Yeah. Which is I'm more confident to post. I'm going to create more content. And it looks like we're helping the problem of people being addicted to likes. I still think it's a good thing that they came out with that, but I think it's super interesting because suddenly now you're gonna be posting stuff a lot more for yourself actually. Yeah. And that's a great, that's great thing. Like if people feel more confident because as we both know, or anyone knows, you get the most likes if you post a selfie or get engaged. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, you you can't just do that all the time. So I think it's a good thing. And I think it is part of the move and conversation around something needs to be done about this comparison culture because uh, social media is shining a spotlight on this, which I think is super interesting. And I think it's, again, I'm hearing more and more discussion around intrinsic values versus
0: extrinsic values. Mm. And I think actually that um, Instagram plays a huge role in that because i mean what is more of an example of extrinsic extrinsic value than the like and having other people validate you by double tapping on the thing that you have put out into the world
1: yeah and i think just to quickly define extrinsic versus intrinsic for people extrinsic is about that external validation so that might be a like on instagram it might be a shout out in the office it might be someone saying you look great you are great intrinsic is around enjoying the process and doing stuff for yourself and for the enjoyment of doing them and i think i'm going to use the podcast as an example because we started with the podcast article let's say nobody listens to this podcast nobody at all and we grind because we've learned from your newsletter story, (laughs) like you keep going. And we say, okay, this hasn't worked out. No one cares, no one's listening. I would feel so privileged that we've got to do this at all. Like the fact that we have the time and the space in our lives to be able to create this thing together. And that's just a wonderful thing. And that is the definition of intrinsic values is enjoying the doing of something and also doing it
0: for yourself. And it brings you great pleasure. I completely agree. Um, I mean, we will never have no listeners because obviously our parents <laughs> will always listen to everything. My mum's not listened yet. <laughs> um, but no, I completely agree. It's all about the process of doing it and also learning from, you know, putting this out there. And um, also the, for, for me, a huge reason that I love doing this is because I get to work with my pals, which is something that I have found that I really, really value. Um and you know what? also this whole thing about success has reminded me of this really great prince this really uh, great sort of um I don't even know how to describe it phenomenon I guess that um is actually quite an old one it's called arrival fallacy and it was first coined by Tal Ben Shahar who is um, a Harvard trained positive psychology expert uh, he wrote about it in his book um, that came out in 2007, and um, we'll link to to it in the show notes. But um, it's called Happier: Learn the Secrets to Jv Joy and Lasting Fulfillment. However, the concept of arrival fallacy has sort of gained popularity again because there was a New York Times article that came out recently about it. But anyway, I will get to the point. It's basically that there is a belief that when you arrive at a certain destination or a goal, you will be happy. But that is a fallacy because arriving rarely makes you as happy as you expect. Now, that destination might be a work project. It might be, you know, getting a book published. Or having Losing on- weight. Losing weight, exactly. Losing weight is kind of another big one. And actually sort of, the, you know, it, essentially this this whole arrival fallacy thing what it's talking about is how achievement in and of itself doesn't always equal happiness because if you are unhappy before you set out to do that thing that you were trying to achieve getting that will not make you happy you need to kind of work on that as a separate Issue. And I think it's really important that people sort of start thinking about that more deeply and thinking about sort of separating their happiness from the goals that they're trying to achieve. And I'm not saying, you know, don't go and try and achieve goals because you should, but they they in and of themselves will not make you happy and you need to work on your happiness as a separate as a separate project. Well I
1: I think the joy comes from working towards a goal mm. even though I don't believe in achieving goals for success or happiness. Mm. So the joy of having something to work towards again your newsletter story, great example. You had a goal which kept you going and you need that. You need that ambition and drive but you also aren't reliant on its outcome for your own inner Happiness essentially, Mm. and he talks a lot about how relationships are the key to happiness. Which again, it's this concept that we we all know that we're humans and social, and we don't care about material goods. And it's only the reward tied to material goods, like we've heard this a thousand million times. Yet, why do we? It's not computing for some reason that relationships are the most important thing for us as humans.
0: Do you think that that might have something to do with the fact that ultimately they are? we are told that they are the most important thing, but we're also kind of told that they are secondary because, you know, you go to work and you can't really say why I feel, I don't really feel like doing work today because my, I'm having a bad time and, you know, I've had a relationship issue or I don't, you know, I need to finish early today because it's just important for me to go home and spend time with my family. We're still really not at that place where you can do that. So, we are actually given really mixed messages around the value of relationships
1: or relationships in work Mm. so say you go to a startup and you say okay we're all here because we need to make this company famous and make loads of money and grow and blah 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 what if they were like let me gather the most interesting and intelligent people I know and sit around the room and say what what problem can we all solve Mm. and what can we do what does this team, and then suddenly you flip it around if you have relationships first? so me and you, we obviously enjoy working together we I think I'd be fair to say we approached it more with that approach and I think it'd be really interesting at work if we kind of flipped it around maybe it would get rid of office politics is that too radical like if everyone came together because they wanted to and they were bonded by relationships
0: you've heard it here first a solution <laughs> to how to get rid of office politics brought to you by Tiffany Phillips.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure we'll cover over about 10 episodes because I have so much to say but back to the how to define success so um redefine a redefine sorry a redefine it, I am um, recently wrote for Refinery29 about the time I was fired which is the ultimate failure in the eyes of Mm -hmm. the career world and I talk about my new definition for success after that happened to me and essentially it's about how I had to redefine it because I didn't have that career validation and I talk about how when people can't place you work-wise they get quite hostile and all that sort of thing Re- read it for the rest please um and give it clicks if you like it <laughs> and, um <laughs> but um I talked just about, here for the likes <laughs> yeah, yeah I just wrote it for that reason um but is it, it it is I talked about how freedom and fulfillment from a varied and purpose-fueled life inside and outside of work and that is how I have
0: redefined it after that event happened to me a couple of years ago um, that I think is a really great note to end on. That I think we all need to strive for fulfillment outside of work and outside of the daily grind. And success is not going to be defined by how many likes you get on your Instagram post. So, good luck defining your own success and success that works for you. And
1: let us know what you come up with.
0: listening to is this working with your hosts anna cogerado and tiffany philippo and a huge thank you to our producer chris bannister despite everything we just said about not doing things for the likes unfortunately the algorithm gods are not quite so enlightened if you did like the show please please do leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts because it really helps the show and other potential listeners to find it We
1: also want to hear from you because this podcast is all about how we can improve your working lives. So please do email us with any questions, thoughts, feedback, criticism or your own stories of success. We are at isthisworkingshow at gmail.com and we're on Twitter at working. You can also find Anna and I on the socials. I'm at Tiff Philippou, which is impossible to spell (laughs) and will hold me back from any fame. (laughs) And you are at Anna Cod. Yep. So thanks so much for listening and have a good working week.
0: Bye. Bye.